For those of you that don't know me, my name is Justin. I'm the pastor here. Really excited to be with you today. Uh, We are in our second week in our new series on Proverbs. Uh, If you missed last week, I definitely encourage you. The introduction is really important to kind of understand the book and what we're going to be talking about uh, throughout this series. Uh, You can catch that on our YouTube channel or on our podcast uh, online. Uh, But today, we're talking about our first topic as we go through the series, and as I said last week, this is going to be a little bit different how we usually do our series. Instead of going through the book verse by verse, we're going to be dissecting a lot of the topics that we see in Proverbs. Uh, And so the first topic that we're going to talk about is just God and man, this relationship that we have with God. A lot uh, that we are going to be reading in Proverbs has to be predicated on an understanding of the relationship that we have with God. Um, We want to explore that relationship today and what Proverbs has to say about it. And what's important about this is this is going to define our understanding of Proverbs. Uh, This is going to define our understanding of wisdom and what we're going to be seeking out over this next uh, few months Our relationship with God is really the start of wisdom. And so if we're going to be reading a book about wisdom, if we're going to be reading a book about understanding, then we have to really start at the beginning and understand that the more that we know God, the more that we understand him, then the more wise we will become. And so if we don't have that as our starting place, then we're going to be trying to get all the other stuff that we talk about in Proverbs moralistically. We're going to be trying to get it in our own good, in our own understanding, and in our own way. And so we want to stop that right from the beginning and know that everything else that we're going to be reading about and and discussing has to be predicated on an understanding of us first knowing God. That is the most important thing. And kind of our anchor text today is going to be Proverbs chapter 2, verses 1 to 5, that I'll read now. It says, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding, yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, Then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. So verse 5, saying, search out wisdom and understanding, and what you will find is the understanding of the fear of God and a knowing of God. What that literally means to find the knowledge of God means to know God. And so even if you are here today and you've heard that term, the fear of God, uh, and you don't understand the fear of God, then what we're going to learn about today is about God so we can understand the fear of God because in our search for wisdom or what we talked about last week, wise living or fruitful living, we must start from a place of fearing the Lord. It's, this is the motto of Proverbs, the beginning of wisdom is fear of God. And fearing him is not cowering in a corner, although sometimes it may be, but that's not all it is. If you're running from God like Jonah, you may end up in a well for three days because you did not make a wise choice and you decided to run away from where God called you to go. And so that may be a moment where you are in fear 
of your life in the typical sense where you're cowering. You may not be in the whale, in the belly of a whale, but you may be in the corner of your house or on your bed just kind of fearful of where you've gotten yourself into in your life. And this is why I don't like making decisions without consulting God because I've seen where my decisions lead me. Uh, they lead me into pretty disastrous situations over and over and over again. But for those who are serving God, it is a reverent respect of who he is. Knowing what God is capable of and understanding that your life is held together only by his grace and his mercy towards you. Ultimately, what we have to understand about the fear of God as we go through Proverbs and our relationship with God is that the fear of God does not lead us into depression. The fear of God does not lead us into a bad place, but the fear of God leads us to life. Proverbs 19 verse 23 says, the fear of the Lord leads to life so that one may sleep satisfied and untouched by evil. Proverbs 22 verse 4 says, the reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. So to understand this fear of God, how does these things lead to life? How does fearing someone lead you to life? How does fearing God lead to life? Well, first we need to understand more about who God is, and that's what we're going to spend most of today doing, going through Proverbs. And the first thing that we need to understand about God is this, is that all things are subject to him, all things. You know, if, if this was 15 years ago, this is when I would tell you to turn to your neighbor and say, all things. <laughs> in Proverbs 19, verse 21, it says this, many are the plans in the minds of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. It does not matter how great our plans are, how many scenarios we have thought out, it is all subject to the purpose of God. You know, in finance, they have this thing called the Monte Carlo. And the Monte Carlo simulation in finance is when they get, you know, this big beefy computer and they do a lot of inputs about the market and about companies and all these different things and they crunch the numbers and they press enter. And what happens is a Monte Carlo simulation simulates thousands and thousands of possibilities in the matter of seconds. And then at the end, it spits out a number, a rate of return. And it says, with all of the things that could go wrong, with all of the things that could go right, the amount of risk that is involved, the probability that this will happen and the probability that that will happen, this is the most likely scenario rate of return that you are going to see. And even though we have created these systems that go through literally millions of different scenarios, we still find that our plans don't always work out according to what we thought they would. And that is because that all of the things in the world, all of our plans, all of our scenarios are subject to the purpose of God. So if you do not find yourself submitting your plans and submitting your ideas and submitting your will to the purpose of God, then many times you will find yourself in darkness on what is going to happen in the future. Sometimes in human ingenuity, 
We pride ourselves in how much we can think through things. We pride ourselves in how much we can say, well, if this scenario happens, then this will happen. And guess what? I have a contingency plan for everything. But ultimately, we can have a lot of plans in our mind. But at the end of the day, there is one plan that will stand, and that is the purpose of God. All things are subject to him. And what's great about this is even, Proverbs says, our equipment, like these large machines that we use that compute most likely outcomes, even our equipment, even if we go to a construction site and we have everything that we need, even our equipment guarantees nothing in life. Proverbs 21, 31 says this, the horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. How many times, I'm a history nerd. I love reading history. and I, In history, there's something that is surefire good, and that is this. Numbers many times mean nothing. There are tons of examples of kings that have raised a really huge army, and they have fought against inferior numbers. I think of Alexander the Great. This is a guy who had 60,000 troops, and he fought against the great Persian Empire who had come against them with some 300,000 to 600,000 troops. And yet they would still fail, the Persians. And Alexander the Great, that's why he's called the Great, would win. That we sometimes, if we don't have faith in our plans, sometimes we would put faith in the things that we have. Well, because I have X, Y, and Z, and it is prepared to go in with me, guess what? This guarantees that I'm going to have success. But Proverbs clearly says that the victory still belongs to the Lord. No matter what you have, no matter what you bring to the scenario, at the end of the day, you are getting what you are getting because this is the purpose of God. The Lord's purpose will always prevail. The flip side of that is this, even caution can be bad. If your caution supersedes your trust in God. Proverbs 29 verse 25 says this, the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. How many times have I told God, God, don't you know it's not done that way? You know, haven't you been around the block a few more times than me? Don't you know that these things don't work this way? That this is actually how it works? So let me, let me try my plan instead. Or I don't know if I should go into this like you are calling me to go into this. I think of a few things that come to mind. I think of a lot of times uh, I see this play out in bad relationships where you have one side that wants to get married and they think, God, logic is if I'm going to get married, then I need to be in a relationship. This is logic. But the relationship is unhealthy, unspiritual, and sinful. But logically, God, I don't... And a lot of times, a relationship doesn't even have to be sinful to be unspiritual. We gotta get that straight. That if God is saying no, 
There are a lot of times where I consulted God about who my next mate would be, and God said no. And there were times where I did not listen to God because I said, God, guess what? I'm of age. She's a Christian. I'm a Christian. Did you see how high her hands went during worship? Okay, thank you very much. I'm going to make this happen. That have led to disaster in my life. Because I thought, logically, God, you should know how this works. And God had to teach me, no, Justin, you trust me first and foremost. Trust me first and foremost, because my purpose is going to stand. And many times we jump headlong into things that maybe we haven't consulted God, or maybe God has said no, because God, logically, this is how it works but then they end in disaster. It may be that putting God first in your finances doesn't make sense, and you're caution about that. But you say, God, I really shouldn't put you first in my finances because I consulted with my bank account, and when I consulted with my bank account, my bank account gave a resounding no to me. For me, many times, it has been taking a step of faith where God is calling me to go without having all my answers, without having all of my knowledge lined up, without having all of the resources that I think I need to be successful. But trusting God and saying, God, you have called me to go here. You have called me to do this. You have called me to live this way. And because you have called me to do this, You know, I always cringe when I'm sitting with somebody to make a decision, and the decision scripturally is clear. You need to do this. But then logic gets in the way. The fear of man gets in the way. Well, what will happen if I do this? This may be bad for my relationship, may be bad for my job, may be bad for X, Y, and Z, no matter what it is. That is the fear of man, the fear of what people do say around you. But... Instead, saying, God, if you are calling me to do this, I trust that your ways are higher than my ways. You are seeing things that I do not see. And the more you begin to realize that God has all things working in his purpose, in his plan, the peace that you have to sleep at night, to live through crazy scenarios. I mean, God, I feel like he is in a, in a game of life with me where he keeps on one-upping how crazy I think the scenario is going to get. I'm like, God, we've been through some pretty crazy scenarios, so I'm good. I doubt that there will be any more crazy scenarios. And he's like, what about this? And then I'm like, okay, you're calling me to do this. It makes absolutely no sense, you know, given my circumstances, given my life, given my living situation, given my finances, but I've learned the best yes that you can say is always a yes to where God is calling you to go. Proverbs 3, verse 6 says, in all of your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. And all that we do, we must lay it before God. We may be walking through the valley of the shadow of death, but his rod and his staff 
comfort us. He is our protector. He is right beside us. He will make our path straight. We may be walking through naysayers. We may be walking through hardship. We may be walking through life and thinking, God, I need to make a hard left here because if I don't make this hard left, I am leading right into disaster. But God may be saying, no, I am calling you to stay straight. Don't look to the left. Don't look to the right. This is where I am calling you to go. In all of our ways, we are to acknowledge him and he will make straight our paths. God, I am not going to consider going left. I am not going to consider going right until I consider where you are calling me to go. And we see God work his peace in our life. We see God work his joy in our life. I'm telling you, I've, I've been through scenarios in life where in, in those moments, nobody would fault me for being angry. Nobody would fault me for living in anxiety about my next decision or living in depression about where I was. But in those moments, I've seen joy. I've seen peace, as scripture says, that surpasses understanding. As the other proverb we read, we can sleep at night. You know, I never realized what a privilege sleeping at night was until I had my two blessings. <laughs> that is a blessing to be able to sleep, or if you've ever despaired, you know, I think of when I was a kid, the most anxious nights that I would have was Christmas the next day, and I wouldn't be able to sleep. Oh, what am I going to get? Am I going to get the things that I asked for? Like, I can't, can't wait to wake up. It's 4.30 in the morning. That's good enough. Mommy, Daddy, wake up. It's time. You know, and they went to bed at three, wrapping all of our presents, so they weren't very happy about those moments. But now, how many things keep us up at night? You know, the, the, the weights of life weigh on us that when we go to rest our head on our pillow, all we can think about is all the different scenarios, all the different things, and God says, just acknowledge me, bring it to me, my purpose will prevail, trust me, I am the God of the universe, no matter what equipment that you have, no matter what people are saying, no matter what are the things that are around you, trust in me, because my purpose will prevail. But many times we want all of these blessings from God without ever listening to God. We want to say to God, God, I want your peace. I want your joy, but I want to do it my way. I want to live life the way I want to live. I want to make the decisions I want to live and to make. And that is where the fear of the Lord becomes healthy caution. See, God is not into dead religion he is not into people who pretend to want him just so that they can get his blessing. He is not a person that he can be manipulated into making believe just because I raise my hands on a Sunday, just because I say my morning and my night prayers, God, you owe me this. But really, God cannot be manipulated by our outward appearance and our religious state of mind. In Proverbs 21.2, it says, Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. 
So if we go through life thinking, as long as I say my prayers and I do my religious duty, I go to my services and I can go back to doing what I want, guess what? We are wrong because God is not looking at the outward appearance. He is looking at your heart and he is seeing, are there rivers of living water springing from that heart that produce good works or is there greed and manipulation and envy at work in your heart? that is producing prayers and supplications and fasting and church going. Proverbs 28.9 says, If one turns away his ear from the hearing of the Lord, even his prayer is an abomination. Come on, some people have been lied to. That if you are in your sin and saying, you know what, God, I don't want you in your heart. You've turned your ear away from the right thing that you've said, the way I live is most important, the way I want to live. It seems right to me, and this is the way I'm going to go. And then we say prayers in the midst of that. Guess what? Those prayers are going up as an abomination to God. Not only will God not hear the prayers of an unrighteous pretender, but even sacrifice will go unnoticed. In Proverbs chapter 21, verse 27, it says, The sacrifice of the wicked is an abomination. How much more when he brings it with evil intent? How many times have I gone to God trying to manipulate him? God, I'm going to fast today because I want my way. God, I'm, I'm going to go on this extended prayer and Bible because I want that promotion and I want that job. God, I, this is my plans. How many times have I written my goals and my board of vision and I've said, God, this is my way. Can you bless this now? Instead of saying, God, let me fill my goals. Let me fill my vision with where you are calling me to go. Let me acknowledge you in all of my paths. We need to remember that we cannot pull a fast one over on God. He knows our hearts. In Romans chapter 2, verse 16, it says, God judges the secrets of men. The things that we do that we think nobody knows about, those are the things that God is judging in our hearts right now. The places that we have been able to hide from our family, from our closest friends, the things that we have never shared with anybody before that we think are well dug deep inside the trenches of our heart that we will never open up for anybody but the conscious of our mind. God judges those secrets today. God is very interested, not in pretense. He's not interested in religious obligation. He is interested in a heart that is passionately seeking to know him in all of his ways. Knowing all of this about our secrets and our heart, the thing is God does not leave us out to dry. Yes, we are sinners. 
Yes, we deserve our darkness. Yes, he is perfect and powerful. But he has always made a way. Always made a way. Our prayers may be an abomination. Our sacrifice may be manipulative. But guess what? God has made a way. In Proverbs chapter 16, verse 6, it says, By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. We can always count on something, and that is the steadfast love and faithfulness of God. We can count on that to make a way for us. When we learn who God is, the depth of his love and of his wrath, it causes us to walk away from evil. By the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. When I learn about the love that God has for me, even though I have, as it says in Scripture, prostituted myself to other gods and to other idols, I have bowed down to entertainment, I have bowed down to culture, I have bowed down to my friends' expectations of me. I've given myself away and broken my covenant with God. But I know his steadfast love and his faithfulness to atone for my iniquity. See, when I understand the fear of God, I understand what I'm doing to myself in those scenarios. And the fear of God keeps me away. Sometimes what happens is the wrath of God becomes for us just theoretical. Hell becomes theoretical. It doesn't become a present reality of a place that we will be judged for and sent to. And when that happens, what happens is we begin to lose the fear of God. And when we lose our fear from him, we stop turning away from the evil ways that culture and and the, the love of man and of possessions and things entice us into because, well, this isn't so bad. I can I can serve God and money. I can I can have two masters. It's not so bad if I divide my heart in between this compartment and that compartment. But when we understand God, when we understand in in his fullness, not only his love, but also his justice, also his wrath, also his righteousness, then when we look at those things that begin to entice us again, we can say, I fear God too much to say yes to you. I fear the repercussions of where that will lead me. I fear the death and the path that that will cause me to go down. I fear walking away from the Almighty in his justice again and his judgment. Proverbs 28.13 says, Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. See, God is not looking for perfect sons and daughters. He is looking for confessing ones. When we stop hiding our sin but exposing and forsaking them, his mercy is extended to us. 
Guess what, church? I still mess up. I still sin. Exactly. But the problem isn't when we mess up in life. The problem is when we begin to hide. Because the fear of man causes a snare. Oh, I'm scared of what that person will say about me. God, is my calling still, this is, this is some of my thoughts, is my calling still, is it still relevant if I've messed up and that person knows that I messed up? Is, is my relationship with you, God, still good? If, if other people look and say, oh, he doesn't have a relationship, does, does their view of my relationship with you actually determine my relationship with you? See, the truth of the matter is, is when we hide our sin, it's not that we're scared of what God will think, it's what we're scared of what people will think. Because God knows our secrets and God knows our hearts. And his steadfast love and faithfulness still has atoned for our iniquity. But what happens when we begin to hide our imperfections, we are actually hiding from the mercy of God. When I begin to cover up my sin, when I begin to make a wall around my heart, when I begin to shell inside and think, well, this person can't know about that and this person can't know, what happens is I begin to hide from, from the body and I begin to hide from the mercy of God. He who confesses and forsakes will obtain mercy. What we want is we want a secret sinful life between us and God. And I'm telling you, the enemy has been working in so many people's lives to tell you, well, this sin is just between you and God. When it's between just you and God, what you've been doing is you've been hiding from the mercy of God to cover your sin. God is not looking for people who are perfect. He is looking for people who are confessing. Who can find, say, that trustworthy person to say, let me reveal my heart to you. Because the more I have hidden this, the more walls I have built up between me and God. And it's subtle. It's like that frog in boiling water. It's nice, cool, cozy water in the beginning. Oh, this is okay. I didn't tell anybody. I didn't get struck by lightning this week. You know, I didn't burst into flames while I was worshiping. I was still able to read some of the Bible. God, you got me. You understand. Let's, let's move on from this. And then that heat goes on. and Little by little, we find ourselves dead in our trespasses. God has called us to live confessing. Confessing and forsaking. Confessing and forsaking. Proverbs 14, 27 says, The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life that the one may turn that one may turn away from the snares of death when we understand who god is his justice and his mercy his faithfulness and his wrath it turns us away from the snares of death and it leads us towards life i remember 
when the full weight of this next passage that I'm going to read, when it hit me, and I won't forget it because it changed how I acted. In Galatians chapter 5, it says this is a very, I'd say, well-known passage. In verse 19 to 21, he says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. All right, if this list wasn't comprehensive for you, things like these, add them all in there. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. I remember I used to read that passage and think, you know, because I'm good with God personally, that that did not apply to me. And I remember the day I realized that that applied to me, that Paul was writing to the church. He was writing to people like me. And I I read that again, that those who do things such as these will not inherit the kingdom of God. I remember realizing how steeped in lust I was and how hidden it was in my life. And I realized that with all my work for God, I probably was not going to spend eternity with God. And I say that because what happened was this was not a confessing sin. This was a habitual sinfulness, lust in my life that I had given over to, that I had stopped trying to fight. I had stopped confessing to other people. I had stopped experiencing the mercy and the grace of God for. And I just thought, God, I will live like this and with this for the rest of my life. And when we get to heaven, there will be an understanding that I loved you, but I loved this more. I love this more because I wouldn't stop. And the lie was that, oh, my hormones, this is how they're wired. The lie was that, oh, this is just typical thing. God will understand. The lie was if I talk to people about this, they will never look at me the same. But the truth was that in my habitual, non-repentive sin, I was walking towards death and would not inherit the kingdom of God. Romans chapter 2, verses 8 to 10 says, But for those who do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good. See, what happened was when I read that passage in Galatians, something happened in me that I understood that I didn't understand before, and that was the understanding of the fear of God. That, God, I am inviting your wrath and your justice on me and on my head. That by hiding my sin, that habitually living in sinfulness, that I am walking into destruction. And the fear of God came in me, and something in me said, Justin, you cannot live like this anymore. If you are who you proclaim to be with your words, 
then something has to change in your actions. Guess what? The first time I confessed, that wasn't the last time I sinned. But something changed in my life that time. That the fear of God began to lead me to life. The fear of God led me to stop hiding who I was and to confess to other people. The fear of God led me to begin to forsake things I thought I could never forsake in my life before. The fear of God led me to do things that I never wanted to do before. I remember this one moment when, uh, that, that was just a life-changing moment for me when I was younger and me and my dad would go to the movies. That was how we used to spend time together a lot of times. Uh, and my dad was just like, man, if there was even a remote, like, sex scene coming up, he, he knew about it, he read about it, and he was ready with the hands over the eyes, you know? Like, he was there, and at some point, I got into an age where he just told me, all right, Justin, close your eyes at this point. And so I would be like, yes. <laughs> Closing my eyes over here. And I remember when I would watch movies, I knew what I was doing was wrong, but I was so drawn to seeing those sins happen before me. I was, the, the sin of my life, to see, watching this unfold, because something in me was drawn. The evil desires and passions in me wanted more of this. The lust could not get enough of it. And throughout my teenage and early adulthood life, I remember it was kind of the same thing where like, we turn away, but not really turn away. And I remember this one time, I went to a movie, and I was on my own, and this scene came up, uh, and I legitimately put my head down and closed my eyes. And I remember that moment because that I didn't tell myself before I went to go see the movie that I was going to do that. I didn't have some crazy epiphany in my life that all of a sudden I'm just going to change my, lay, my ways and cold turkey, I'm going to change everything, but I had been spending time with God, and I had been spending time getting to know him and understanding the, the fear of him, and in that moment, I reacted to say that, God, I can't live the way that I used to live before, and I must change my habits. And the time I had spent with God had literally changed my actions to put my head down and close my eyes so that the desires of my flesh would not get the best of me. And I remember that moment specifically because it was a turning point in my life of realizing that the lie that I had been feeding myself that, oh, I'm just a, a typical person with a lot of hormones, that this is just the, the way I'm, I'm rigged and this is okay and I'm never going to get over this. That lie was shattered that day. And the fear of God, the weight of his scripture fell on me. That I began to seek him and realize that this is not the way that I have to live anymore. That I can live in purity and in freedom with him. The fear of God led me to life. It made me take God's word seriously. It made me begin confessing, repenting, and obeying with fervency that sometimes needed that reminder of his justice, but it stayed rooted in his steadfast love and faithfulness to atone. See, seeking out wisdom, as we're going to be doing during the series, has to stay rooted in knowing God. 
And Proverbs says, seek it out like hidden treasure, like silver. Proverbs is not a book of nice sayings. It is a book that teaches us to fear God, to grow in our knowledge of him, that it would lead us to life, that it would help us make better decisions, that in all of our ways that we would acknowledge him. That we would not do it passively, but that we would do it passionately and say, God, I want to know you and I want to know you more. Whatever that looks like in my life, if I have to set aside things that have been priority before you, God, I want to know you. Paul says in Philippians 3.10 that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Proverbs shows over and over if our understanding of wisdom and fruitful living is not rooted in our longing for God, then we are missing it. Our decision-making, our wisdom, our understanding, our knowledge must be rooted in the knowing of God. And if it is not, then all the things that we will learn from Proverbs, all of it is for nothing because it will still be pinned on our human understanding. And so Proverbs first and foremost seeks you truly want wisdom. If you truly want the paths of honor and glory, if you truly seek for this, being able to sleep at night because you have done the right things, then truly seek out the Lord. Truly seek out knowing God and being with him. Be rooted in your longing for the knowledge of God. That your days are not composed of the different things that you have to do anymore, but your day is composed of knowing God more. Of your life, your day doesn't revolve around the things that you have to do in life, but it revolves around the time that you spend with God and the, the ways that you get to know him more. That he is the center, the very fabric that holds you together. That we would be first and foremost desiring throughout this entire series, God, that we would know you. That we would know the power of your resurrection. That we would have the fellowship of your sufferings. That by any means necessary, God. By any means necessary. Can you stand with me in prayer?